Hi, this is Cliff Crego for the picture-poems.com website. Thanks for tuning in. Hydrocarbon Man. I'm out doing uh, May field work. It's uh, early evening, about um, 17 hours natural time. It's very beautiful light. And I've been working all day, so I'm totally exhausted. So I'm running around here, basically half naked with two Nikons, one in either hand. And um, trying to get many uh, flower and plant friends, tree friends, before the season changes. So anyway, um, you're going up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And uh, I'm uh, packing out for a day or two tomorrow afternoon. And it's a long ride, but beautiful. And I'm hoping to do some, um, especially in a burn, a recent burn, uh, magnificent uh, lomatiums, uh, biscuit roots. So I'm thinking ahead. And I've been thinking about hydrocarbon man on and off uh, for the past, uh, gee, almost 40 days that I've been doing spring mountain work up here, I figured, well, I don't want to come back, so to speak, uh, empty-handed down to the office. Uh, anything relating to climate crisis always has this sense of ethical imperative urgency about it. It's remarkable, there's not a breath of wind. These foothill uh, lupines catch the light in an extraordinary way. This is a rocky basalt ridge, so I can look to the west and I can look to the east. I'm not quite high enough to see well to the east, but I could. It's just a meter or two up there. But hydrocarbon man I mean that uh, only slightly tongue-in-cheek because it's basically in my darker hours. I find it uh, horrifying. Let me explain. This is entirely coming out of a kind of meditation on the nature of the divisive nature of thought and thinking itself which is of course my uh, primary, our primary theme and dialogue. Without that dialogue, in my view, wouldn't uh, you can't even get started. You might be able to debate and discuss, but not dialogue. So you're looking at the actual formative movements of thought, and especially what makes things so divisive and mean-spirited and fragmented uh, and coming out in extremes in the current era. Just as we're looking at these marvelous lupines, it should be its own color because the color modulates from purple to delicate white. Lupine, lupinus, wolf. They do fix nitrogen, but they're also highly competitive. This forest has been logged over two or three times at least. And there's not a soul on earth that knows what this looks like even a hundred years ago, let alone 
before contact with the first uh, white uh, European explorers 200 years, just 200 years ago. Many of these trees are 200 years or older. They're the vestiges, magnificent ponderosas with their rusty red bark in kind of a puzzle form that uh, turns with the light when they're facing the south and then it's much darker on the darker side. Straight as an arrow. So if a lumberman sees them, watch out. <laughs> Branch free for the first 10 meters. There are very few of the old matriarchs left. And I tell people, well, these big trees, the ones that are left, they're relics of a different climate. They're not going to be coming back in the foreseeable future. The ponderosas climb all the way up and then pass on pine essence, as it were, to the white parks at about 2,000 meters. So that's a border line to watch very carefully as the snow line and snow melt line um, and degrees of climate march up the mountain. Two centimeters a day, the snow line goes up. Two centimeters a day, tendency increasing, rate increasing. I'm starting to think German out here. Hydrocarbon man, so thought. Well, a key feature of thought, not your thought or my thought, but just thought and thinking as we know it, is that we not only tend, but we invariably identify with what we believe, our worldview. So if you generalize that, it makes no difference what that worldview is. It's that what's so destructive is that once you identify with it, it becomes very rigid. And the more rigid it becomes, the more we contract into... I was looking, yeah, there's barbed wire around here somewhere. It's still down. They graze here heavily believe it or not. This is too high in my view for grazing. But anyway, contract into a ball of barbed wire for security. And basically, everything other we fear, and depending on the era, when resources are many and easy, and there are very few territorial threats around, well, that doesn't tend to create that much havoc but uh, if that becomes different, if times become tougher, watch out. Hydrocarbon man. So basically the long and short of it is that hydrocarbon, I really see it as a separate species of human being. Obviously not quite literally, but very close. I mean, we can still um, um, intermarry and generate progeny <laughs> within one another. So Neanderthalensis uh, and sapiens, they interacted too. Hydrocarbon man, let's see. Now, let's make a list just off the cuff. 
The lupine is listening now. I got their attention. This is very rocky, what you call lithosol, lithography, lithos, uh, stone. There's almost no humus. That these trees are harvesting carbon as we speak. That they can become so powerful. Two, two cliffs cannot get their arms around many of the trunks here. And these are just the small ones that were left. The big ones were cut long ago. So, a separate species. Now, why do I say that? Because the worldview is so alien, and not just to, to myself, but any worldview, once it becomes, well, here comes the key word, we're making a list of just uh, um, characteristics of a species, the way a good old-fashioned naturalist might do when they encounter something for the first time. Perhaps at the top of the list, we might put fundamentalism. And normally when we think of fundamentalism, we think instantly of organized religion, but no. Fundamentalism has nothing to do with religion of any kind, of course, but it's just absolute rigid belief. Plus, we identify with that absolute rigid belief. So if that absolute rigid belief, a worldview, is threatened or questioned or in any kind of danger, we respond uh, violently. And depending on the context, depending on the culture, that degree of violence can go all the way to, well, in the current era, the top gun is nuclear weapons. But it has nothing to do with organized religion. Any fundamentalism can do that. And the primary remarkable thing is the complete failure of education to, to pull us out of ignorance of that fact. That's why this forest around me is dying. At its very most general, basic level, this hydrocarbon man. This kind of ignorance of fundamentalism and the mechanism, destructive nature of thought, which just remains active in total darkness. We don't see it. And yet it uh, conditions almost everything we think, say, and do. So in a way, if we don't give it attention, my view is, is that it's not going to make any difference. It must be the central focus ongoing as a kind of collective individual dialogue meditation. Zooming in, zooming out, it's a part of everything. Art, science, religion, ethics, nonviolence, climate crisis, hydrocarbon man, so fundamentalism. So that conditions a lot of the other key features.
hydrocarbon man cannot possibly listen to anything that you say, cannot possibly see any fact, even if it's thrown right in his face, that contradicts his worldview. And the more tight the barbed wire ball of fear and alienation and contraction becomes, the more extreme becomes that uh, violent defensive reaction. This is not the violence of the brutish brain that I've talked about. That's utterly natural. I mean, we could be, there might be a bear listening here. And uh, that uh, the fear of the natural human being is outward fear of the brutish brain is good and natural. But the fear of thought is totally unnatural, totally unnecessary, and always invariably in this way of looking. And I'm just throwing it out there into the talking circle. But look at it. It's always destructive. Well, hydrocarbon man, so we have two things now, this rigid, absolute fundamentalism, that that word that we hear in politics nowadays, prevail, it must prevail. Normally they'll, they'll say it's got to have something to do with freedom, but that's absolute nonsense. What they really mean deep down is hydrocarbon man. And it's not an addiction. I've talked about that before. It's much more profound. An addict, in my view, is always aware of the fact of addiction. And the, the terrible ignorance of not just hydrocarbon man, but thought itself, is that the way that it works is that it generates, by definition, its own darkness to cover up what it's doing. That's why it's so destructive. And that's why any education worth the name must be zooming in on that constantly, giving it sustained, complete, serious attention, because everything else depends on it. So, we have that rigid fundamentalism. Forget about religion. Organized religion, not real religion. When you sit in a forest like this, you say, good God, what more cathedral do we need? It's absolutely sublime, even in its present state of decline. The power, the energy of natural living intelligence and creativity, it's everywhere. The harmony of colors, of shape, of distribution, the freedom of movement, the community, everything about it. But hydrocarbon man. Well, out here, I bump into a lot of hydrocarbon men and it's uh, always a kind of meditation for me 
that uh, because uh, uh, I'm a walker, always uh, uh, naked, so to speak, either on a bike, skis, snowshoes. People in cars, of course, uh, never communicate, even with the car, hardly. But uh, uh, when one walks the land, you see that's our natural history. People stop, they are convivial naturally, they share stories, things they've seen, they want to know what they're up to, where they're going, if everything's okay. Just any number of wonderful human relationship exchanges take place. But if I happen to say, they see cameras and stuff, and I say, well, yeah, I'm working on this climate crisis uh, stuff, and, well, you know, then it's like you've drawn a line in the sand. I've had people not even, well, I guess they had guns, too. I think they had one of those, what do you call them, AR-15s with them. And they just started, they uh, all of a sudden became very aggressive. And because of this, the very thing we're talking about. They might say that, but that's how I see it. All I was doing is just like this lupine, I was just being. And they just started spitting one conclusion after the other at me. I normally am silent. I just let people do their energy thing. And it doesn't really touch me. I mean, if you react from the brutish brain, you would become defensive and aggressive, defend whatever. Uh, but uh, I guess I've worked long and hard enough. I'm just—it's a kind of yoga. I don't—it doesn't. I don't move. I just listen. This not being able to listen is very dangerous. Now. If I were to run into a Jehovah's Witness out here, and I have, and I don't really want to talk about JWs right now, but they'll give you a completely different fundamentalism. They're waiting to be raptured or whatever, you know, so the climate crisis, well, that doesn't really make any difference, right? They're just waiting until Jerusalem or whatever burns up. But it's their own way of that they cannot possibly listen to a thing that you say. It's like uh, you would have much better success talking to an artificial intelligence computer 30 years ago. And it's very tragic. And notice again that there's a complete ignorance of what is taking place. That's why it's mechanical. But the JWs are causing no harm, only for themselves. Whether they should be legal or not, I would certainly question, because it's very fundamentally anti-democratic. But at least they're not allowed to vote. But once, if they were to become political, oh, within well, it the whole thing would change. But look at the difference with hydrocarbon man. That's what's so extraordinarily frightening. Now, does that hide? Do I have me, Cliff? Do I have a trace? You better believe it. I still have part of those intellectual, whatever you want to call them, genes of hydrocarbon man 
in my being, just like I still have partial genes of what I call the secular Christian in me that I am giving constant kind of energy to to burn it away to the root. I want to have nothing to do with it, but without force, simply in a kind of intense awareness that it is just utterly gone. This worldview, instead of the divine being the center of the universe, the me has become the center of the universe. That's the essence of the secular Christian worldview. It is completely without ethics, utterly self-centered, and you can see why it's a kind of insanity to think that someone like, with all due respect, Ayn Rand, who's very popular in the tech circles, probably has even chapels underground somewhere in Silicon Valley, to take that for a moment seriously. At least in the past, some organized religions would say, wow, we have to temper those impulses. <laughs> no. With Rand, we pull out the stops and let it just all hang out there. The more self-centered and aggressive, that's how you get something like Facebook. But hydrocarbon man, we are all hydrocarbon men. And what's so frightening is how powerful he is. And that's the only single thing, the only single damn thing that's unique about Hydrocarbon Man is that he is now capable of taking down not just himself, but the whole living planet. One worldview that refuses to budge, and they're not going to budge. Whether that's true or not, we'll throw it out into the dialogue circle and let me know what you think. I'm just letting that resonate now here among these. I'm sure that the pines are applauding. Anybody out here has said, this has gone on long enough. It's one assault after the other, this war against nature. Not just the timber harvesting, but the whole cattle industry the whole barbed wire mentality. And now, compared to a hundred years ago, people had some sort of contact with the earth, with their own physical instrument, not, not nowadays. I just bumped into two hydrocarbon, maybe I shouldn't say that, but I'll say it anyway, that hydrocarbon men this afternoon, getting getting ready for the great bear hunt. Well, if you have any idea it is, what it's like for someone like me out here to be doing this field work, and these people, they come in from hundreds, thousands of kilometers away, and they have some sort of, I don't want to know anything about it, they come with these magnum weapons that they can shoot, Lord knows, three, four hundred, five hundred meters. And what do they want to shoot? They just got here. They have no idea where they're at. Getting ready to bag a bear. Well, when I hear those shots at a distance, it's just, it just goes right through me. And you hope they're not shooting at you. 
hydrocarbon men. They were hunting on what I call blubber butts. They come in with these huge four-wheel drive pickups. Lord knows what it cost them on what I call energy futures. The energy slaves just to get to these south walls, uh, <laughs> pulling two, of what do you call them, four-wheelers. And they don't walk when they're hunting. Any bear that has any, you can hear them 15 minutes away. The low frequency uh, rumbles through the earth if you have your ear. Like I'm just sitting on solid rock here among our lupine friends. Totally without ethics. Totally without a sense of earth. Compassion. But at least they aren't shooting at me yet. I have no words for them. And they're completely normal. They could be heads of companies. They're very nice. We had a wonderful convivial chat. <laughs> they're nothing exceptional at all. Nice guys. Sit down and have a beer and a cigarette. Nice guys. So I'm not talking about the individual, although they are, of course, responsible. But a deeper underlying metaphysics. So are they part of, yes, they are definitely a manifestation of hydrocarbon man. But I'm not free of it either. I'll be going back to a camp. It's about half an hour, 45 minutes from here. And uh, I cook with wood, but mostly only in the morning. It's a kind of meditation it's four o'clock and that to, to get a fire started. It's a great sense of freedom, just a little hobo fire, enough to make a cup of coffee. But if I'm lazy and I have a stove with me, then I'll fire it up uh, burning just regular unleaded gasoline. The work differential is at least 10 to 20 to one. And one little tank liter tank of gas this time of year because I'm not melting snow for water. And in the winter it's very different. And of course then in the winter it's a question of safety and security. If your stove goes out in the winter time this far back up, you're in very bad straits. But this time of year you can usually get a fire going. So that's my direct connection with hydrocarbon man. It's very alluring how how much easier our life has become with something that's poisoning the air, poisoning the sea, poisoning the trees, poisoning the water, poisoning us, destroying the climate, and we're willing to die for it, to destroy everything so that we can keep that privilege. So I'm trying to be really hard on ourselves. This isn't just a question of ExxonMobil keeping the fact that they knew about climate crisis and were doing research about it, Lord knows how many years ago, 30 years ago. Well, I would say, gee, well, that's only their bottom line. I wouldn't expect them to do anything else. But this hydrocarbon man is tacitly, silently active in all of us.
and it's absolutely horrifying because of its rigidity. Of all the progressive people that I know working, I will watch how far they can take this nonviolence when you start to question the whole of the animal protein industry. Well, those are fighting words out here, boy. That's the only thing they have left. And rightly so, I would feel mighty threatened too. If I'm a rancher and I'm listening to Cliff talk, I said, man, just get the hell, who do you think you are? Get out of here. So without dialogue, without going into the nature of violence, I think it's hopeless. And I'm talking to myself too, with the last little bit of light we got here, direct sunlight, I mean so it instantly gets cold with this high, wonderful alpine mountain air. So boy, we got our work cut out for us to liberate ourselves. And that's the key point. It's like this hydrocarbon man is a prison spiritually living inside a contracted rusty ball of barbed wire isn't fun. But if that's all you know, then you're just ignorant that the, a whole new magnificent world is possible. So the alternative somehow has to be demonstrated. The beauty of it, the wholeness of it, the intelligence and compassion and love of it. Without that, I don't, uh, when you confront hydrocarbon man directly, either in yourself or in others, well, that's exactly what they want, is confrontation. They thrive on it. So that's something to meditate on. And what horrifies me, and I'll end with that, there's still not a breath of air to see these ponderosas so magnificent tall, and they're, they're not moving at all. There were Chinook winds with lenticular clouds yesterday, but then the pressure went right back up. It was probably five to six degrees above Celsius, above climate average, very hot, very dry, desiccating. It's May the 13th. So if it's true, and I think it is, that hydrocarbon man can take down the whole of creatura, the whole circle of life, well, obviously he has to be stopped. And if your absolute uh, beginning and ending principle is nonviolence, well, that makes a lot of things crystal clear. I won't go into politics. Like I say, it's the worst possible place to look for leadership. But we certainly need something that gets this 
crystal clear what we're up against. And the last thought that I've been meditating on out here is that this thing about uh, climate crisis, many people have been saying that for a decade now, that global warming and is an extremely unfortunate term. It's like you're turning up the thermostat and, well, who doesn't like it a little bit warmer? It's like most people around here uh, who are older, they go, if they weren't born here, they go south for the winter. And this certainly doesn't have a hard winter here in the Wallawas. So what's, what's wrong with a little bit warmer? Well, that's not what's happening. The way that I've been thinking of it Imagine a Steinway grand piano, magnificent tradition. Well, that's four or five hundred years of creative design. And we're not just mistuning that clavier, that Hammer clavier, that grand piano, the forte piano. It's called that because it can, the first instrument that could play loud in soft, actually a percussion instrument, with a whole mathematics of tuning, for better or worse, with equal temperament. Well, we're not just mistuning the strings or breaking a few, we're hitting it with a chainsaw, sledgehammers. And so that means all of these magnificent, finely tuned relationships, interspecies relationships, are all being pulled out of tune. And one by one, they're starting to unravel in totally unpredictable, nonlinear, accelerating ways. It's absolutely horrifying. But if you just stay in your car, and even if you're out here, like those two bear hunters, not only do they not see anything, they don't care. Or skiers here. The mountains, I'm talking alpine mountaineering skiers, the mountains become, you know, it's like a uh, uh, open air uh, athletic ground for uh, uh, athletic performance. So to become aware of that hammering to death of that magnificent grand piano. And in that awareness, it stops you dead in your tracks. Good God, what have we done? If people would come back from 200 years ago and look at what, uh, they would just have no words for it. What have we done? Okay, that's it for now. Uh, signing off for, I gotta get uh, running down the camp because I have enough light. Okay, good talking. Ciao for now. <laughs>